You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, finally, the technology boom has reached policing. Over the past decade, we have automated record keeping, organized evidence facilities with RFID, enhanced forensics, crime labs with new science, electronic weapon alternatives, and improving training with virtual reality and other modalities. Is the next wave of technology coming in the form of fleet improvements? Some law enforcement agencies like Bargersville PD in Indiana are moving to Teslas to test as police cars and others may be testing one or two. While the UK seems to be going all in with a bigger advance of electric vehicles or EVs, what can be predicted in American law enforcement's future into the use of EVs in everyday policing? Today, we have Michael Benson, retired fire chief from Ohio and an expert in electric vehicles and fleet considerations. Michael Benson is the co-owner of Command Consulting LLC, which focuses on municipal electrification, emergency services, and shared services. He has 30 years of experience innovating at every level of local government. He is a board member for Green Energy Ohio, a member of the Critical Services Microgrid Group in Asheville, North Carolina, and Drive Electric Ohio. Retired Fire Chief Benson lives in Northeast Ohio with his wife and three adult children, and he's been driving an electric car for three years. Welcome to Policing Matters, Michael Benson. Very nice to meet you. One little sidebar on what you started with. There are actually electric vehicles, electric police cars in most states, including West Virginia, which of all places you would not expect, and Kentucky. So they're all over the place. You just don't realize they're there. Yeah. Okay. Well, they need, they need a new publicist. Uh, <laughs> why go electric in the first place? You know, you know, there's thousands of cops out there listening to this, and they are waiting. Is there going to be a future with EVs in policing? What do you think? There's two ways to look at this. One is the market forces. So just like we had to switch from Crown Vicks back in the day and Caprices and the rear wheel drive V8 power, big sedans. And now we're all in these small sedans. And now we've got these uh, Explorer interceptors that are very nice and even hybrid, the new versions of those. The market is going to change. So no matter what we do, the electric vehicles are coming because they are better, faster and cheaper, which is the other side of the coin. So why would you want to have one for a police car? It's a better car for policing. The, the crazy thing is when I reserved my car before I retired, I read about what the car does, how it works, and I realized it has enough power in the battery pack to run my whole house for a full day in the summertime in the, with the air conditioning on. And I'm like, that is a ton of power. How does that work? And what I found out was battery electric cars are 90% or higher efficient. So when you run a gasoline car, you're only 18% efficient, 19% at most, which means the most efficient gasoline car you can get is less than 20% efficient, which means you waste 80% of the power, which we all know what that is. That's the hot engine. One of the ways you could tell somebody drove a car is because the engine is hot. Uh, that's, you don't get that in electric vehicles. It's so efficient that it can run all day. So I thought, well, if it has enough power to run my house, this could easily run a police shift. Even if it's a 12-hour shift, I wonder how many miles of municipal police car, and I'm not talking about state patrol or really huge districts like you're going to find in large counties, but for a municipality today, 
you probably drive less than 100 miles in a shift. And these cars now, the ones that actually are good enough for policing, go 300 miles or longer on a shift. And because they're so efficient, what do we do most of the day when you're on patrol? You patrol at either low speeds, idling, or you're parked. So that's when electric cars are actually extremely efficient. Everybody knows that big, huge snow event in Virginia with all these people stuck in their cars for 24 hours and somebody put up a meme. What would happen if these were all electric? Everybody would die. It's actually the reverse. You, There were people in that trap. They're there that were trapped in Teslas. They put their car in what they call camp mode, which means you can camp in your car. It turns everything off in the car except for the HVAC. And they laid back and went to sleep and took a, took a break. There's no carbon monoxide to worry about. You're not going to die in the car. It kept you comfortably warm in your car, and it could stay there for days. It can do that for days at a time. So the efficiency in an electric car matches how you actually use your police car because the next part is, is they're very fast. I refer to them as better, faster, cheaper. So we know they're better in the way they operate. They're faster as well because the torque in an electric car is 100% at the beginning of the torque curve. So when you hit the accelerator, you literally go like you're shot out of a cannon. As fast or faster than the motorcycle I used to own, which I sold because what's the point? My car goes as fast or faster than my motorcycle did. This is crazy. I drive a family sedan that goes zero to 60 in less than five seconds. That's nuts. Family sedan, that's that's a, that's a muscle car speed. It's what we used to have with these big V8 strong cars back in the day. So if it's better and it's faster, well, what do you mean it's cheaper? So when I tell people it's cheaper, oh, no, they're more expensive up front. That's absolutely true. If you buy a Tesla or a Ford Mustang Mach-E, which are the only two that I recommend, because they have enough power to work as a police car. Uh, when you buy one of those, it is more upfront. However, when you stop buying gasoline and do oil changes and all the other maintenance necessary in one of these cars, you're going to save thousands of dollars a year. So my friend Chief Bertram from Barkersville, Indiana, he's saving $6,000 per car in his fleet. And he now has several of these. So he's done testing. He's switching his whole fleet over to electric vehicles. So Chief Bertram uh, explained to me that his $6,000 per car, he gets a payback within 18 months. And after that, that's all free and clear savings, which is really, really good for him. And he needed to do that because his uh, area expanded that he had to cover with him from a small village to a bigger village and needed to be able to have more officers on the road. So he's saving money with these electric cars. So when you look at something, what they call total cost of ownership, which I recommend anybody do when you're looking to buy a car. How much does it cost to actually buy and own and insure and maintain this car? The electric cars are far cheaper. So why do people want to switch to electric for police cars? Well, it's better police car. It's a faster, more performance of a police car, and they're cheaper to own and operate. Your municipality will actually save money by switching to electric vehicles. Okay, those are good arguments. And we're not selling cars, but would you say Tesla and, and what other kind of car? Yeah, so right now... And this is coming from the perspective of somebody who has driven public safety vehicles for 30 years. You need something that has the power to operate and run. And uh, everybody's got that it's, it's horrible story about, well, I drove my friend's Prius and it's a piece of crap and it has no power whatsoever. Or I drove this cheap electric car and it couldn't do anything. Well, that's not today's modern car. Uh, another police chief I worked with, Chief Mellinger down in Logan, Ohio, he actually took his captain with him to test drive a Tesla. And his captain was absolutely not interested in this until he drove that car. And then he's like, this is an amazing car. 
It has so much ability in straight line power. When you enter a curve now, you can actually enter a curve slower, go through a curve or turn much slower than you do today. Because at the end of that, once you get past the apex, you hit that accelerator and you are once again, shot right out of a cannon because you have all that torque. So you actually can drive it more safely than you do and still be faster than you are today. By the way, it also doesn't roar and get you all wound up. That's one of those things I remember from driving fire trucks when I was a young lad. I would pound that uh, accelerator to the floor, the gas pedal and the diesel would go boom, and you hear that horrible, that horrible sound that back in the day got you all wound up. You don't get wound up. Fremont, California and their report that they did when they tested out a Tesla said actually driving fast or, or going uh, emergency to an incident in an electric vehicle, you remain more calm which as we all know is a big issue nowadays. We mm -hmm. need to de-escalate and have all the, you know, our officers need to be that stoic officer that they are, which of course, as you know, that is almost every one of our officers that we deal with is calm under fire. That's one of the prerequisites when we hire somebody is to make that they're that, that kind of a way. So this car actually helps you be a better police officer. Okay, sold. No, I've, I've driven, <laughs> <laughs> I've ridden in, I've actually not driven one, but my son, one of my sons has a, a Tesla and my brother-in-law does, and they are a kick, at least as a passenger. Um, I would be remiss, and I'm sure I'd hear it from one of my colleagues, Kathleen Diaz, um, at the Rural Badge uh, and also with uh, Police One. What about the range and pursuit capabilities, and not just in municipalities, and I know you mentioned it at the beginning, but I mean, say uh, we are in a, we're deputies, working in an environment where we have to cover 500 miles and it's just us in that one car or uh, which is common in in city departments and i've believe me i've fielded so many complaints about this you and i are partners we do our eight hours we drop our car and the next two jump in and they see the fuel gauge on e and dirty mcdonald rappers in the car and you know yeah. all, all what do they that. say what do they say the <laughs> yeah. guy that the officer yeah. that follows you is a big whiner and the officer you follow is a big mess you know slob yeah right. that's how it always is yeah. right and it is a <laughs> universal complaint i've heard yes. it coast to coast police so fire ems doesn't matter yeah <laughs> yeah so what about that i mean i'm you know if if i'm on e i can drive to the yes. nearest pump fill up and i'm good to go what about the the ev so you've actually hit on two of the key components of where we need to go with these EVs. So let's go ahead and agree, or uh, let's assume that I'm correct, that an electric vehicle is a really good police car. So if it is, and you do want to use it, and you have a large district with a long run to be able to go on, uh, at that point, as of today, the hybrid is your answer for the moment. So those hybrid Ford Explorers are really good cars. They're not going to really save you a lot of money. They're going to cost just as much in maintenance because you actually have to maintain not just the full internal combustion engine part of the car, but you also have a battery electric thing added onto it, which doesn't usually require much maintenance, but it just makes a complicated machine more complicated. But at least for today, uh, the mileages you're going to get from an electric vehicle that are powerful enough, like I said, the Mustang Mach-E or the Teslas, they're powerful enough to be a police car. They really are 300, 350 mile range. So that's what you get at 100%, which you don't normally use. You normally use and stay around 80%. So let's say the beginning of your shift, you should have 80% charge. Uh, that's another thing we learned from Fremont's example. They used to say, have a half a tank of fuel to start your shift. Well, a half a tank of fuel in a car is about 250 miles. 
So a uh, full tank will get you 500 miles in a gas car. So the mileage range portion, if you know you're going to drive more than 200 miles in a shift, you are at the edge of what's available today. However, I would ask you to actually look at, do you really drive that much? And as far as the distance goes, because when I talked about efficiency before, you burn up a lot of gas just idling around and driving around. It's actually the least best or least the worst version of a gasoline car, whereas the electric is very, very good. So figure out if you really do. So I recommend it to police chiefs. First thing you do is just look at your fleets and actually see how much do you really work, have drive per shift. And if you can get information more than just mileage, look at like telematics data or AVL data, if you get that through your dispatch and figure out how much do you really do drive and how much do you really sit to analyze to see would an electric vehicle fit. And the vast majority of cities, you're good to go. So if we look at the counties and the rural police uh, sheriffs or even state patrol, if they need a 400, 500 mile range electric car, they will be here and be here shortly because the battery technology is being developed for cars. They're all starting to compete now, all these manufacturers. That's one of the reasons why this is an inevitability. Every major automotive manufacturer, except for a few uh, who are most likely not going to make it, uh, have started their electric transition. So Ford, GM, Tesla, a whole bunch of Chinese companies are all coming with electric Chrysler. So the long range vehicles will be here shortly. I would not necessarily recommend them today just because they're not necessarily there. I know the Maki passed the test for Michigan for State Patrol, the test that they do up there. By the way, they never did test a Tesla, so you can't really compare those two. Uh, but it does meet the requirements. However, I don't know if it's going to work for every use case. It'll work for the vast majority of police officers in the in the town or in the in the country. One thing that's a key factor, and it's kind of a chicken egg thing, and this is going on in every aspect of electric vehicles. So that's the other side of this coin, is the charging part. So if you had, for example, in that large response area, multiple places where you could stop and charge up for 15 minutes, aka a gas station, but an electric one, then this would not be an issue. And if you're in California, uh, I think you're in Northern California, there are a lot of those Tesla superchargers all over the place. They're really fast. They could charge you up in 15 minutes. You need to replicate that, but replicate it as part of a public safety infrastructure. And this is the key thing that I learned as I started reading about using electric cars for uh, emergency services, whether it's fire truck, police car, ambulance, whatever it is. You need your own DC fast charging infrastructure. So DC is direct current. Uh, a battery is direct current. You can eliminate the whole AC thing. And what I found out was if you use the grid to charge your police cars, and let's say you have shift change at 2.30 in the afternoon, right? And you have, let's say, four cars in your municipality. Each of them need about 40 kilowatt hours. You know, Now you're going to ask for 160 kilowatts uh, in 15 minutes, which makes it a half, 500 kilowatt or half of a megawatt of power. The way the grid looks at these electric cars, every car is a house. Can you imagine plugging in six houses at once at 2.30 in the afternoon on a hot summer day? You are going to take down the substation. The grid is not designed to do this. The nice thing is we can do it ourselves. We can put a battery pack, the same kind of batteries are putting in cars and are being developed and becoming cheaper every year. You can put a battery pack on your building, use that battery pack to charge your car. So let's say a 500 kilowatt hour battery pack a half a megawatt, 
that can charge your six cars that you need to charge at shift change. And you will fill up that big battery the best way possible, which is a trickle charge. Well, let's use solar panels. Let's use wind. Or if you want to charge at night when the rates are cheaper. But if you have solar panels on your roof and it charges the battery on your building, that can charge your cars. Meanwhile, when it's not charging your cars, you use it as backup power for the building itself. You actually use it to offset energy costs for your building. You avoid peak to charges or demand charges. And that's the system that I learned about. And all of a sudden I'm going to public utility commission hearings and learning all about the grid and how this stuff works. And I'm like, wow, this is a thing called a mission critical microgrid, which is patent pending, by the way. Uh, a mission critical microgrid is designed for electric vehicle fleets operating out of critical infrastructure, local government critical infrastructure, like police stations, fire stations, service garages that run the snow plows, which as everybody knows, everybody needs snow plows nowadays. We didn't used to think that snow would be so bad in the South, but here it is. So we need that critical infrastructure just for us, not the public fast charging for taking trips, but for our police agencies and our fire agencies and EMS agencies. And if they're attached to a dispatch center, now you have backup power and resiliency for your dispatch center as well. And what's interesting is that whole microgrid concept is a whole nother podcast because you can do so much more with that, that we'd have to have a different day to talk about it. But for you as a police officer, if I'm going to have an electric vehicle using a battery, why not have a battery on the station too? And then use the rooftop, which catches rain, might as well catch rays, except the gift of power that God gives us every day, fill up our battery pack and that fills up our police cars. Now we can charge in 15 minutes and you won't get stuck in between shifts. Or if you do, you just plug it in, go to the bathroom, you know, get your equipment ready, you know, empty out the car if it's full of trash. And by the time you're done doing that, the car's ready to go. Wow. Well, that's a <clears throat> great consideration. I, I didn't think that was possible. I'm glad you mentioned solar. Um, we'll get into that. But I wanted to ask you, uh, early on, you talked about... Um, you know, the flat uh, chassis of a electric vehicle and how all the weights on the bottom. Um, what about custody considerations? And not only that, but I mean, we're talking about um, an area in the passenger compartment big enough to put maybe a large offender in the back seat, but then also the considerations of everything that a police officer is being asked to carry on board a first kit, an AED, a, a sniper rifle, a patrol rifle, a shotgun, extra uh, batteries, and all the other gear, right? So all those certainly must uh, zap some battery strength. And I hear out where you are in, in beautiful Ohio, it gets cold. And, and I understand that, that that's draining on the battery as well. So what's interesting is, the electric vehicle, when it's not pushing a large amount of mass, which is the car itself, uh, uses very little power. And the heating and air conditioning systems that they're using nowadays are heat pumps. So that's a Tesla example. Uh, and that is also extremely efficient because it's the same cooling and heating system that keeps the battery and operating system warm, also keeps the cabin warm. And of course, you can use seat heaters as well. So once again, it returns to that efficiency part when you're stuck in the snow for 24 hours or 48 hours, you can do that in an electric car and be just fine. It's, it's the driving, it's the pushing the mass around that uses the most amount of the power for an electric vehicle. So as far as hauling your, fire, your police officer and all of their equipment around, not really a big issue. 
and because the skateboard design of the electric car, which means the battery pack is in the floorboards in between the, the wheels and between the axles, and the whole drivetrain is down low as well, you now have extra space up above. So they have a thing called a frunk or front trunk. Uh, and actually most agencies are either using that as the place to put their electronics in for their uh, radios and computers and everything, uh, lights and sirens, all that kind of stuff, or they use it for, let's say the medical compartment. That's where you put that AED and your tourniquet kits and other stuff that you didn't use to carry around that we do nowadays. I do remember back in the day when you basically had four things and that's all you had to have to be a police officer on patrol. <laughs> and now it's, you have like 15 things you have to carry around. It's just crazy. But the electric vehicle will handle all of that. And yes, it does do uh, take some of the battery range out in cold weather, which is why we recommend starting your shift in an electric vehicle at 80%, not at 50%. Even though you're probably only going to use 25, 30% of the actual range, start at 80. That way you've got a cushion and you're good to go, which is one of the things you got to switch as policy goes. Your vehicle policy needs to change from half a tank to start your shift to something like 80% to make sure you have plenty of power. And then the battery pack itself being so low in the car also provides a handling benefit. So you actually drive around like you're a go-kart. It really plants itself on the road. So even though it's different than what we're used to and we're used to having this this engine up front and a tank in the back, all stuff, now it's all below you. You don't see it, you don't feel it, and you realize, wow, there's a lot of empty space up here. So you actually have a lot of room in an electric vehicle that you wouldn't have. And, and my hope someday is they actually use that skateboard platform to make a purpose-built public safety style vehicle for police officers and shift commanders for fire and EMS and stuff to respond with, because that would be nice to use the advantages that type of a vehicle provides uh, down the road. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. Custom police vehicle. Yeah. We're yeah, looking wouldn't forward Wouldn't that be that. nice? Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. And I'd be interested, sidebar, interested to hear what your four essential things were. And ah. today it was uh, flashlight batteries and flares. I don't know. I was going to say, well, you had, you had to carry a weapon, right? Oh yeah. Right. And you had to have a radio of some sort. Uh, I think this was pre bulletproof vests. So you didn't have vests. Uh, so I think you had to have a, a shotgun as your backup or secondary weapon, something like that. And I can't remember what the other one was. Oh, a notepad, notepad with a pen. I mean, that, that pretty much started your shift, right? Yeah, since, <laughs> since that's 90% of your job or it was. Exactly. Yeah, writing stuff down. I'll tell you, the police officers win. Uh, you guys are the best at writing stuff down, documentation. You kill <laughs> fire and EMS. We're, we're a joke compared to police officers. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I, I want to get into more structural uh, questions. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news, training, and incident analysis. Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's police one, the number one.com forward slash registration.
And we're back and I'm speaking with Michael Benson, retired fire chief from Ohio and expert on electric vehicles and fleet considerations in both police and fire and public safety. Hey, how do the new vehicles stand up to collisions? Are they going to be ready? Uh, I know there, I forget the name. It's like, uh, I forget the name of slingshot or something when you step on the gas and it shoots. Uh, there's a there's a negative consequence to that. How do they stand up in collisions? Well, the stuff I've heard is mostly all the what they call FUD or fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So electric vehicles, there are a lot of folks who would like you not to buy one. So they spread out a lot of news about electric vehicles, about the safety parts, about them catching fire, or you can't get parts to repair them and all this kind of stuff. Well, if you use Tesla as the the example because that's almost always the one that's in the in the news anytime a tesla catches on fire which if you do crash one and you crash the heck out of that thing it can and will catch fire uh, but it catches fire way less often than a gasoline car will because it doesn't have a tank full of flammable fuel in it it's just a battery pack now battery packs are getting built safer and better and actually being made a structural part of the component of the car but the actual results of safety testing the safest car ever tested, I should say the top three safest cars ever tested are all three Teslas because they are designed like tanks. And I actually heard this from a police officer who told me that his, his or a, should be a commander that talked about his police officers constantly jumping curbs and causing problems with their vehicles. That is one thing I would recommend. The Original equipment manufacturer wheels are aluminum on a Tesla, so they will take quite a beating and actually deform and damage themselves. So the one in Logan, Ohio, is actually a prototype, and it has steel wheels and police-rated tires. So that's something you should consider. If you're going to do an actual police car EV, you need to have aggressive tires that can handle that torque. So when it does take off, it stays under control. My car has winter tires on it. You want winter tires, which I hope you're doing already in winter weather prone areas, you really should. Don't rely on those all season tires, even though you have an all wheel drive car. Your public safety, your mission critical, you need to have the right rubber on the road uh, to be able to operate. So that's across the board, whether it's gasoline or uh, electric power. But the electric vehicles themselves, there were a lot of stories that if you crashed your car, it would take months for you to get parts. Well, I'll use Chief Bertram's example in Bargersville, Indiana. I talked to him and he said, oh yeah, one of our officers hit a deer. The car was out of service for about 16 days and now it's back. So they're making a lot more of these cars nowadays. Their production volume, uh, volumes are up. So all the horror stories you read about, which of course you read about them a lot because a lot of people push that narrative out there. Anytime a Tesla catches fire, it's not just national news, it's international news. Anytime a Tesla crashes or somebody's got a complaint about how quick, quickly they could get it repaired, uh, everybody hears about it. It hits international news again, but you don't hear anything about. Remember when Chevrolet had a problem where you had a, the ignition issue that would catch the car on fire? Okay, yet again, another problem with a car. Nobody even thinks about it. Just got a report and it's, everybody ignores it and moves on. Not when it's something new like a Tesla or a Ford Mustang Mach-E. They can't wait for one of those to have a problem and it becomes a big blown up news story. So don't believe the hype. Uh, believe the reality and uh, electric cars are far safer because they're far more balanced and far better built and able to be built with large crumple zones, which means the car deforms, but the police officer inside or the police officer or the canine inside stays safe. And that's one of those special things about the EVs is the ability to have huge crumple zones, which is why they test 
so well. You could even find videos if you look them up online. They try to make a Tesla flip over by throwing it sideways into a pile of sand. And, it, and I'm old enough and you are as well. Maybe some people listening may not realize this reference, but weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. That's basically what this thing did. It tipped over like it was going to roll and it just went right back onto its tires. Yeah. And I was like, that is amazing the way physics works, which is not something we usually think that much about. Yeah, that was a huge issue with the Explorers when they first came mm -hmm. out. They were so tough. Yeah, they're way better now. Uh, there's yeah. a thing. There's a thing called a moose test. So a moose test replicates if you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden there's a moose and you have to swerve around it at highway speed. Teslas nail it. They're awesome on the moose test. Go look and see what an Explorer looks like when it tries to pass the moose test because you will fishtail, you will lose control. Yeah. So this is an EV's much safer vehicle. Officer safety, firefighter safety, paramedic safety, always the number one important thing we do. And you're going to put your officer in the safest vehicle possible. It's an electric one. Yeah. Well, luckily, we don't have to deal with moose running out on the road here in California. <laughs> you do have cows. I've seen them. We do have cows. We, <laughs> they're mostly squirrels, though. And there's a different strategy. No swerving involving a squirrel. Yeah, no kidding. We can squish no. those. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the economics. You know, uh, as a former administrator at one point in my career, my worst eight months of my career, um, I was respons <laughs> responsible for purchasing and recruiting and things like that. 85% uh, or more of an agency's finances go to people, right? So little left for infrastructure, maintenance, and things like that. Um, you talked about, you know, the front end expense of these vehicles. And, you know, I remember uh, when I left, we had cars on the road that had 250,000 miles on them. Uh, where's the, I mean, tell me about the economics and do we see any relief from the federal government in, in fleet purchasing? I doubt we're going to get much help for local governments more than what they pretty much have out there now which is they're concentrating a lot on electric buses, schools, trans, uh, mass transit, that kind of stuff. As, as you all know, most public safety agencies are kind of left on our own and we get a lot of unfunded mandates. Though They love to do that to us. Hey, you have to do this, but go figure out how to make it happen. Well, the good thing is electric vehicles pay for themselves. So that's the nice part. Same thing on that microgrid, that mission critical microgrid that's patent pending. Uh, those also can pay for themselves. And let me explain the two parts. So when Chief Bertram in Indiana wanted to sell his very conservative city council on going to electric vehicles, he didn't talk about it being electric vehicle or that it was a Tesla. He looked at the economics and did what they call a total cost of ownership analysis. Let's say we're gonna own this car for five years. How much does it actually cost to own and operate? And uh, my example is my car is just almost four years old, and I have spent $35 on maintenance. I bought air filters and replaced them. Otherwise, it's just swapping out tires, which you would do anyway, living in a snowy climate, putting winter tires on every year, but that you would do in any car. So the only thing different I had to do was put in air filters in my car, but there's no oil changes. There's none of these other expenses and his issues. I think he has Dodge chargers. I'm not a big fan of Dodge chargers. I think they're kind of not as well built. The Ford Explorer interceptors are much better cars. But even then, you're going to be wearing out. 
fan belt. You're going to wear out compressors. You're going to wear out transmissions. You're going to wear out all kinds of stuff on an internal combustion engine with thousands of parts that move, thousands of parts that move where the electric drivetrain is literally frictionless. It doesn't touch anything. You are driving without friction. The only friction is the rubber hits the road. Or if you have to use your brakes, which by the way, when you're doing regular patrol and not responding, you can drive with one pedal. I drove my wife to work this morning because her car wouldn't start and had to get a new battery. So I drove her to work and back and it's what, 45 minute total drive. I didn't touch the brakes a single time because my regenerative braking system slows the car down, puts power back in the battery pack. So I never use the actual friction brakes. The same thing happens for when you're on regular patrol or just moving around, not chasing somebody, you're not going fast or responding to an emergency, but you could drive with just one pedal. So that's way less maintenance on the actual vehicle. So the estimates that I've seen are all very conservative, that you will have 40% less maintenance costs in an electric vehicle. It's actually far more than that. It's more like 60 to 80% less because you just don't wear out big expensive things. There's no exhaust system to rust out on an electric vehicle. The bottom of the cars are just all uh, protected shield, either metal or plastic underneath there. So you're not going to wear these things out. They're going to last a long time. So they're going to be much cheaper to own and operate. Uh, once you get past that first purchase level, from that point on, you're going to save money. So one thing I recommend to municipalities, let's say you want to start doing this. What's your first step? A one, do your fleet analysis, understand what it is you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, and will it let your vehicle fit? Once you decide it does, lease that vehicle. The technology is changing so rapidly and battery pricing keeps dropping so rapidly that the car you buy today in three to five years will be cheaper and better. So don't own these things for 20 years. This municipal mindset of let's buy this thing, use it as a police car for three to five years, which is usually what we do, and then Mm -hmm. dump it off to somebody else to use. And then we'll sell it 20 years down the road when it can barely operate. It's better to lease. The advantages are no upfront capital cost. You have a fixed amount you're going to use. You can even do it as a pilot program, uh, sell it to your city council that way. But what's nice is the leasing companies know when is the sweet spot to sell it. That's the thing we don't have time and we are not interested in. But municipal uh, fleet vehicles who work on this kind of stuff, these companies, operators, they really know when is the time to sell. And they'll say, hey, this car is the perfect time to sell it. Let's get you the new one. Swap your stuff over. And there's a whole, as we all know, there's a whole market for used police cars. People want to buy these things. Uh, So it's definitely worth your while economics wise, but the battery packs keep getting cheaper, which makes the cars cheaper. And the technologies, the actual makeup of the battery packs are becoming cheaper. Way less of this disgusting stuff that you get from child labor in the Congo, digging up cobalt, that kind of stuff. They're getting that stuff out of the battery packs and they're able to make them with things like salt and iron and phosphate, which is in the ground. It's just dirt. So they're trying to make batteries basically out of dirt. And as they keep getting better and more powerful and cheaper, uh, the results will be in our cars. So don't get locked in long-term on an EV. Try the lease option, especially as a pilot program to try out for your agency. That sets you up with just, here's how much we're going to pay for a certain number of years. And then you'll see the savings come through because you'll just stop going and get oil changes. You'll stop going in and getting the brake work done. It just won't happen. Yeah. Well, you've, you've 
covered most of the the questions I had about infrastructure. You talk about the microgrid, um, the limitations on rural areas. You you talked about that about the the quick charging stations. Will we ever look at something like um, like a, a electric jerry can or something that'll carry a charge? And just in case, you know, that deputy gets stuck out in the lower 40. Well, the nice thing is people are already developing this stuff. And that's what I love about it. So I'll use the fire truck example because that's a little more extreme. The battery pack in a police car is probably going to be around 80 kilowatt hours, maybe 100 kilowatt hours. The fire truck's going to have a four or 500 kilowatt hour battery pack, five times the size. So when you plug in one of those things, they need a whole nother level of charging infrastructure. It's actually beyond a megawatt. Actually developing the standards for that, which believe it or not, I'm on the standards committee, which is insane. I don't know how the world I ended up being on this committee. But anyway, the police vehicles and everything that's coming, this whole infrastructure being designed is all going to come together for us. And it's already happening. So out in California, they already have solar panels on fire stations and police stations. Montgomery County, Maryland, their public safety headquarters parking lot is covered in solar panels. The difference is they haven't put it all together. The electric vehicle goes along with those microgrids. And when you combine them together, you start stacking up the values to make it worthwhile. So not only electric vehicles, better, faster, cheaper. Uh, we've already looked into how to do that. And the microgrid can pay for itself because a private investor can actually put it on your property for you and then sell you that electricity they can take advantage of tax credits that you can't get because you're a municipality, you're not going to have any tax credits, but they can take advantage of those and make it worth their while to actually produce that for you. So you can do all of this stuff with no capital cost up front. There are even companies doing all of those things together as a service. I think Hawaii's got one of these uh, entities whose investors are buying the vehicles and the microgrids and selling it all to the municipality as they use it not as a capital cost, but as a use, as a service, so that they can just keep always having newer cars. And wouldn't that be nice to be able to do is keep your cars, fleets no older than five years, things like that. So there's all this kind of stuff coming. All these things are changing. The most important thing is, yes, you can use an electric vehicle, police car. Actually, you will probably prefer it uh, to what you've had in the past. These things are going to happen. There is no way around it. It's going to happen anyway because they're going to stop making the gas versions just because it doesn't make economic sense down the road. Uh, you can't be a Ford and spend all this time on internal combustion over here and all this energy and money on electric. They have to go all in, which is where they're all going. So this is an inevitability for every police agency. So get ready and make a plan for yourselves. And if you need help, give us a call. Awesome. So I was just going to ask, well, what would be your advice for a chief, say a police chief starting up uh, an EV program? Uh, do I just go to Ford and get like four of the, you know, their 300 mile um, uh, range uh, Mustangs and then rely on the, the local charging stations? How, what do I do? I mean, this is a <clears throat> terrible wrap up question because I know you can talk for a <laughs> long time about it. But I mean, what's the what's the down and dirty answer to that? How do where do I start? Let's, let's use the Ford example as the best example. They're sold out. If you want to buy a Mustang Mach-E, my friend's wife wanted to get, get a new car. Uh, she decided to go Mustang Mach-E and she's a firefighter's wife. So she knows what this world is like. She's got to wait. She's been waiting months for this car. If you work with a fleet company, you can get access. Ford is actually, and I'm not a Ford salesman either. Uh, but they have a program going right now through fleet sales 
they will get you your electric vehicles and do a charging infrastructure analysis for you and make sure you've got the right charging infrastructure. We didn't even talk about how cars that are not being used that are plugged in at your station can actually be used as batteries for the station, what they call vehicle to grid or vehicle to load uh, technology. That kind of stuff is out there and available. Think of school buses all summer long, a whole bunch of school buses sitting in a parking lot. Why couldn't you use those battery packs for demand response for the grid, which is a whole nother level of things that you can do. So start with the fleet companies. Uh, the one we recommend in our area is Mike Albert Fleet Solutions. They really understand municipalities. They understand uh, electric vehicles. Now they can work in a municipality. And that's probably what a police chief should, should look into. Say, hey, where's my, what fleet operators are near me or operate uh, for me or can do municipalities? And which ones seem to know what the heck they're talking about? Because you do need the right kind of charging and you can get away with the, what they call 240 volt level two charging, the kind I have in my garage. You can get away with that for a short amount of time. That's what Chief Bart, uh, Bertram's using in Bargersville, but he doesn't switch cars in between shifts. His officers are assigned a car. So they take them home or they leave them at the station and they've got plenty of time to charge. Uh, that is a different situation than a lot of municipalities. If you're going to have electric vehicles that are shared vehicles, you need a DC fast charger. And you can do that with 480 volt three phase power at 200 amps, which is almost a hundred kilowatt charger, which is 10 times what I have at my house. You can do that, but you're going to spend dollars per kilowatt, not cents. And if you're doing the microgrid, you're paying cents per kilowatt. So the economics all line up if you put the whole system together. So get some help, uh, talk to folks who work on the microgrid side of things and make sure that if you're working with a fleet person, for example, let's say your city's big enough, you have your own fleet manager, say, hey, if I'm doing electric vehicles, what about all the infrastructure I need to support this? I, had a, I saw a quote from a chief down in uh, Durham, North Carolina, drove one of those electric fire truck things that they had a test and they drove around. He happened to have his wife drives a Tesla. So he said, well, how am I going to charge this? He knew that the infrastructure has got to go with it. So that's that chicken and the egg. Uh, the good thing is you can do all that development for your municipality yourself and at no capital expense if you've got a good plan and you can uh, find your way through the process of actually being able to make it happen. Terrific. That's great advice. And, and like I tell anybody starting up a new program or, or a new policy, why not go to someone who's already experienced it? So why not? contact chief bertram at bargersville pd in indiana boy he might be mad <laughs> that poor guy that. he gets so many calls uh you can call me you can also call chief mellinger in logan ohio uh chief mellinger and chief bertram neither one of them have this dc fast charging infrastructure because their officers have individual cars hmm. so they haven't had to build it yet but they're about to and i think fremont uh california when they did a pilot program They've got access to superchargers in their area, but they don't have one of their own, one that's reliable in case there's a disaster. That's one of the things microgrids do. They allow you to island your building so you can operate even when there's a disaster. There were people who lived in Texas last year when all of their power went out and they didn't even realize the power went out because they had their own solar panels and batteries on their, on their house along with their Tesla car. So they didn't even realize the power went out because they never did. Uh, so that's the kind of thing you want to have at your place and fire stations. Yeah, for sure. Well, your link is below in the show notes. And uh, how else can uh, our listeners uh, see about your work or read your articles? Well, this is all relatively new stuff. 
we are going to be published more in Police One magazine. So pay attention to Police One and Fire Rescue One on that side of things or EMS One. Uh, but this group, uh, as you already know, Jim, I've been following Gordon Graham from back in the day before Lexapol existed. This, this is a really good asset to the public safety community to have this type of a, a system available. I bought that policy program when I was still chief to be able to use that. So there's a lot of good advantages. Stay up to date on these things, but don't be worried about, hey, let's do a pilot. Get a car. Nitro West Virginia has a police officer, just a regular officer, not a sergeant or lieutenant or whatever, who has some technological capabilities. He's actually, I think, their IT guy as well. And he's driving around in an electric car trying it out. And one of the things he and I talked about is, do you have a place to be able to do a fast charge? He's like, I don't. So I have to constantly plug the thing in to make himself feel better. He probably didn't need to, but just to get that range anxiety to deal with that, he would plug it in. And I said, hey, you've got a nice spot for doing solar and, and storage on your police station. Why not go ahead and do it? What's funny is I think there's a storage building next door and you could cover all those storage barns with solar panels and then the two properties can share it or the private investor could develop it and then sell the electricity over to the neighbor or something like that. There's lots of things that can be done. It's just looking at things a little differently, like Chief Bargers, Chief Bertram in Bargersville or, or Chief Mellinger down at Logan and lots of other chiefs around the country who've decided to go electric. Just look at things a little differently and then try. You know, give it a shot. Give it a pilot. Test it out. Great. Hey, thank you so much. You've been really insightful. And I think you probably sparked some interest in some of our listeners out there. Thanks, Michael Benson, retired fire chief from Ohio, expert on EVs and fleet considerations. Uh, again, look in the show notes. Thanks so much. Uh, pleasure having you on the show. It was my pleasure to talk to you, especially somebody from out west in California. I love coming out for wine country. <laughs> well, come on out. All right, to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you found today's show interesting and you can see how to contact Michael Benson below. Let me know how you're feeling about this and other topics. Who do you want to hear from? Shoot me an email at policingmatters at police1.com, policingmatters at police1.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say, and we'll get you more interesting guests like Michael Benson to talk about things that mean a lot these days and in the very near future. Thanks for listening. Be safe, watch yourself, and check back in real soon.